Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast with Laurent Cortines. It is Friday, October 28th. In this episode, we will review the Champions League results, preview the Premier League, and the fate of Jesse Marsh. But first, VAR is So if you have watched um, the Champions League this week, we had some VAR calls. We have them regularly, and they're here and there, and handballs for Bournemouth against West Ham and and have you. I've railed against it. If you've listened to this pod for a long time, you know that I am pretty much anti-VAR. Why am I anti-VAR? I don't understand why we need it. Who is it for? What is it doing? What is its purpose? No one has explained this to me. Um, I understand the top level. Oh, let's get calls right. Okay, let's get calls right. For what? Why do they need to be right? What is the purpose of getting them right all the time? We're arguing and fighting about VAR calls all the time anyway. So what are we doing? Um, I always question, is it for television? Is it to keep up with the NFL? Is it to keep up with gamblers who are concerned about making sure things are right? Because what's happening now is not working. Um, Football is a live sport determined by the moments you're holding your breath and the goals go in. And by having a stop and a break and a questioning of what your eyes saw, the ball going in the net, without an offside flag up, you are damaging the joy of the game. The game is about the breathlessness and the release. The, the, it's why people say scoring a goal is like an orgasm. I don't remember who said it, but it's very famous. And the reason I'm bringing this up is the, is the Spurs game where Harry Kane in the 95th minute looked like he scored a game-winning goal. Did I watch this whole game? No. I followed along. I knew Spurs' style was kind of uh, uh Porto got an early goal from former, um, former Spurs uh, trainee, which we talked about a while ago. And then, you know, Spurs angled their way back in. Betancourt scores a goal. And then we have this amazing moment of a last-minute goal by Harry Kane. I know that offside is a clear letter of the law rule. I know how it works. I know all these things. This is not about rationality or accuracy or precision. This is about the nature of sport. Why do we watch it? What is it for? How does it work? I fundamentally believe that these sports are created in this age, at the turn of the century, I'm going to go deep, at the turn of the century, to get people to play. They had more time for the first time in their lives. There were young people hanging out, drinking, and the schools made these athletic programs, and you had these concepts of, uh, of, 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 of Christian athleticism, of to be, to take care of your bodies, to take care of God. And we made these sports, and we evolved these rules relatively quickly, and they figured out that football had this rule where we don't want people standing over there, and they made this offside rule, and they've changed it once or twice just to get it right so people don't stand on the other side of the goal and you just kick it and everyone just sits on top of the goalkeeper. They've made a system so as long as you're not behind the last man and the goalkeeper, you're fine. Okay. That rule had been in place for 100 years 
which was nice. And we have some controversial calls here and there. But by and large, it has been accurate and served football properly. On occasion, you have a really egregious one, but mostly it's he's level, he's a little forward. The referees mostly get it right. Now, we had one overturned for Everton the other day where um, where they got a goal when the player was clearly offside. Had that been called the other way, that would have been a controversy. Okay, fine. But now we have VAR, which is taking away something fundamental from football. The prior ways, the guy just raised the flag, it was a goal, and then it wasn't. That's it. Play on. We keep going, right? The moments just went on to the next one. And you could be aggrieved after the fact and see the review and whatever. And that's how football was played for 100 years. But now we have VAR, which does something worse than getting calls wrong. It takes away the flow of the game. We're seeing it in nearly every sport. We have it in the NFL where calls are made and guys go under a booth and they they talk and whatever, and it's terrible. We have it in the NBA where it's interminable. Uh, referees reviewing plays to get it right. All I ask people to do is go watch a YouTube game of an old game. There's none of this. The games fly. They're just getting played. And that is the sport that evolved into these mega billion dollar corporations. It was that version of it. That pure version. We are diluting and hurting the sports we love for the illusion of precision. It doesn't matter in the end. Who cares? Just make it the best, most fun version I can. I don't care if I got it wrong in the end. I'll be mad anyway. Right or wrong, right or wrong. The other piece of this, especially in football, is it hurts offense. All the VAR calls are about taking things away, not giving things. Um, It's really frustrating, and I hate it. Okay. Let's go to the let's go to the Champions League scores. So the big the big games were um, Chelsea defeating Salzburg. They move on. Sevilla beat Copenhagen, but that doesn't matter. They're in the Europa League. City draw with Dortmund in a very dull game. City's bugaboo with penalties does raise up again with um, Riyad Mahrez risking a penalty. Here's the story: Under Pep, City have missed 25 of 80 penalties for a team that talented. That's not good enough. Keep an eye on this space. We have a bugaboo there. PSG romped through Maccabi Haifa at home. The big three both score two goals and have an assist each. So that's Mbappe, Neymar, and Messi. They always like when that's fun. Milan defeats Zagreb to move through. Benfica defeat Juventus. This is a major one. Juventus are falling apart. Basically, all of the Super League teams from the other big leagues, so Italy and Spain, mostly, the Bundesliga wasn't interested. And then the French are just like, uh, I'm fine. They are really falling on a hard time. So Juventus, watch this space and whatever. Celtic had a nice draw against Shakhtar. Shakhtar's run ends. Leipzig defeat Real, but that's Real's first loss of the year. So that's a big deal. Then the other big game, Inter defeat Victoria Pleasant 4-0. That defeat kicks Barcelona out of the Champions League after leveraging their entire future to get to this point. They then lose in the group stages. It's going to cost them about $50 million, which they don't have. Eintracht, Frankfurt, and Marseille, they pull things together. That's the most interesting group in the league with Spurs. Barcelona lose to Bayern after they just don't show up. And Liverpool defeat Ajax away. Another big mix here. Atletico draws with Leverkusen and miss a penalty in the last minute. So they're out. 
three of the four Spanish teams have dropped out of the Champions League, Spanish League in hard times, and then Tottenham's draw with Sporting, and Napoli cruising again with three more goals against Rangers. What does this mean? There's really only a couple of spots left. Napoli and Liverpool are through from Group A. Bruges and Porto are through from Group B. Bayern and Inter are through from Group C. Group D is where it's all to play for in Match Week 6. Tottenham on 8, Sporting on 7, Eintracht Frankfurt on 7, and Marseille on 6. I'm pretty sure that Spurs play... Where is Spurs... Where is Spurs, Spurs, Spurs? I got to find it. Spurs plays Marseille in a must-win game. Although I'm pretty sure if they draw, if they get to nine, if they get to nine, they'll probably be okay. No? Yeah, because Sporting and Eintracht Frankfurt can't both win. So a draw or a win puts Spurs through, a win puts them through first in the group. So this will be a tough game at Marseille. But Spurs have been sputtering, no pun intended. They have been losing lately. Conte's constant need to play defense is not really working for him. Chelsea and Milan are through, although Milan still has a little bit of work to do with Red Bull Salzburg. Um, <clears throat> uh, Red, uh, Real and Leipzig are through. Dortmund and City are through. PSG and Benfica are through. Big stories here. Juve and Barcelona being out. What does this mean? We have two of the so-called Super League clubs, Juve and Barcelona, both falling on hard times economically. It's clear that the pandemic and the weakness of those leagues, or in the case of Juve, has hurt them. Uh, Juve had been coming off eight or nine in a row, leagues they'd won, then they get Ronaldo, and they're in this old player stage, and they're trying to move their team forward from a defensive traditional Italian squad to two offensive types, they try Sari, they try Pirlo, and they just can't seem to get out of their ethos. They go back to Allegri, who is one of the managers who helped them win five titles in a row, and it's a disaster. The team needs an overhaul. It doesn't seem to be anywhere near where its prior um, goals were, and Juve are in hard times. You're going to hear more Super League saber-rattling from Juve, and... We know that Florentino Perez from Real Madrid wants it, even though his team are still playing really well. And then we'll hear from we'll hear from Bayern, uh, from 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 Barcelona about where they are. Barcelona's finances are a mess. I don't think it's a big deal because I think ultimately Barcelona are such a large institution in Spain that the Catalan government, which is autonomous from Spain, uh, sort of they have a, a it's like Scotland to their. Uh, Castiliano, whatever, they will bail them out if they have to. So Barca are still a master mortgaging their future. This was not supposed to happen, and it did. So that's where we are at the Champions League. Match week six rolls in on Tuesday and Wednesday, and we're really just keeping an eye on Group D. Spurs looking for a draw or a win to go through. The rest of the English teams have gone through, which is nice. I believe in the other European competitions, United and Arsenal are doing fine. They're through their Europa League groups or conference Europa Leagues and West Ham are as well. So a lot of English teams moving on in these competitions. But next, we go on to the Premier League, the league we love, the league we follow, the league we can't get enough of, the most dramatic league in the world. We carry on and we're going to go to 
Liverpool versus Leeds as the first game to have a look at. This is the end of the line for Jesse Marsh, um, the manager of Leeds, American coach, American players, Adams and and Aronson both playing there. Um, Marsh is taken into a different kind of mode here. He's he's saying how he's never lost this much in his career and he's sick of it. Liverpool come off a decent result at Ajax, but having lost at um, Nottingham Forest, they'll be back to try and push things along. But Liverpool at home are imperious. So I don't know what it would take for Marsh to survive this game. I think maybe a really good performance or a draw. I think the fans would be okay if Leeds put in a good performance and lost on the margins. Um, They have a lot of injuries. Gerhardt, Rodrigo, Sinistera, Cooper, Tyler Adams. So Leeds are a mess. Liverpool are a mess too, but they should win. And I think this might be the last game we see from Jesse Marsh. It turns quickly in the Premier League. When the 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 dial of death rolls onto you and the Grim Reaper shows up, we saw it with Gerard. We saw we saw Brendan Rodgers get on this on the wheel of death and come off of it as he's pulled Leicester off of it. And we'll get to them next. But then, you know, Marsh is on next. So we just are in that space. So yikes. Uh, we go on the next game on Saturday, um, Leicester versus Manchester City. You know, the Braj is hung in there. He's like the meme from The Undertaker. He popped himself up, and he's doing fine. They've won three of their last five this month. And it looks like, you know, what we thought Leicester would be, they are. They're still a top-scoring team. Uh, wait, Wouse, wait, Woost. So their, their new defender has made a big difference for them. He's pulled them off the schneid. Now, they're only two points above the relegation zone, but I think at this point – we can feel good about where they are. I'm trying to find the fella's name who's who I'm trying to uh, get a hold of. It's not Vardy. It's what What the hell's his name? I'm looking for it. Oh, Wout Feiss has been their new defender. He's got a David Luiz quality to him because he's got the bouncy hair. But they're scoring goals. Madison's on six. Tillemans has two. Dewsbury Hall. Vardy's got four assists and one. Patsadaka has three. So the team can score. So I think that was the big thing is that they were giving up this ridiculous amount of set pieces to that would just go in. Uh, they play Manchester City. City coming off a lackluster performance. Maybe Holland is injured. He probably will miss this game, to be fair. But City City at with injuries is still better than most teams in the world. So we expect City to, to crunch. But... Leicester versus Manchester City is a game that has historically been funky. Uh, We know that Leicester will go forward. We know that City, if you go at them, you can get goals. Now, they may score more than you, but if you go at them, they will. Last season's game was a 6-3, where City were up three at the break, but gave, gave up three goals in the second half. So, you know, and Pep hated that game. It was because we lost control. Uh, he does not like to lose control. So City are there for the taking. They have a, they're two points behind Arsenal and really finally pushing for that last spot. Then we go to Brighton versus Chelsea. This is Potter versus Potter. Uh, you know, he's the he's the regional banker who's pulled himself in uh, at a small branch and is now at the national branch at Chelsea. 
They're unbeaten at Chelsea. Um, and Brighton are winless since he left. Now, I think Deserby has been good. I've been watching Brighton. Uh, they haven't been playing bad. They've just been having the same kind of issues issues that they had when they had Brighton, when they were with, with Potter, and they played tough games. I think Deserby got City, Liverpool, Arsenal uh, to play. So I'm not so worried about Deserby. It looks like Brighton are still playing the same stuff they have been playing. But they could challenge Chelsea. I don't. There's no reason why Brighton can't beat Chelsea. I doubt it, but you know we'll see how this goes. But this is exciting. This is like Potter and Brighton and my kind of guy and all the stuff that's going on. Lots of fun stuff going on. Again, Chelsea unbeaten. I think he's gotten the defense right. The next step for Chelsea is to start getting some goals. They're really not firing on all cylinders and getting their goals yet. But he's trying. He's putting Pulisic at win back with Raheem Sterling. He's, you know, he's trying everything he can. He's been much more flexible and getting the whole squad involved to move things along. So it's interesting to watch. I think this will be a fun game to watch, Brighton Chelsea. So I would recommend it because they're both really tactical. On to our friends at Arsenal. They are coming off a little bit of burnout, a little bit of weakness. Uh, a little bit of confidence lacking. So Arsenal came off the draw versus Southampton. Now they've lost against PSV in the Europa. So it's starting to not fatigue, not something, just it's difficult. It's difficult to maintain where Arsenal were and they keep running the same group out and maybe they're getting tired and maybe the depth is coming through. I'm not sure. It's the mental side of it. So uh, we're starting, Jesus is starting to get back where he was, where he's frustrating. He'll have weeks where he scores five goals in 10 games, and now he's missing chances. And I think Arsenal fans are starting to see that as well. But Nottingham Forest under Steve Cooper seemed to have righted the ship as well. The Liverpool win was massive. He's starting to see something. I think I said, even though I changed seven times, I think I said Cooper would get Nottingham Forest back in order because they're too good to be this bad, and he's too good a coach. But I knew it was going to take time. I kind of had a feeling that in the back half of the season, Nottingham Forest would be a tougher game to pull together. So we'll see. We go on to Bournemouth versus Tottenham, also on Saturday. Arsenal was on Sunday. This is a battle between VAR and Justice. Started the show at VAR. Conte was sent off against in that Champions League game where he got screwed off, screwed up. and then. Um, Gary O'Brien just lost his mind against West Ham where they were hard done getting a penalty on a handball and having a goal taken away by handball in the same game, which was nuts. So Bournemouth and Tottenham both in the VAR death grip. And I think for Spurs, this is a big game. They've got to go down and beat Bournemouth. This can't be a performance. I think the key here is to show some fight, to show them being out for blood. Um, I think I think Brian Hill could come in, and I think it's time for some new creativity, something different. Because whatever Spurs is doing isn't working. As much as I love Basuma, him coming into the midfield to bolster the team while Richarlison and Kulo have been out has not made the team more creative because he's not unleashed to sort of run forward and make those passes yet. So maybe Conte will change. I don't know. He's very stubborn. And they've got to show some attacking intent. Don't worry about the defense, Antonio. 
Go after Bournemouth. Go score some goals. You've got two of the best of all time. And now we're starting to see the uh, the frustration machine turning on for Hinming Sun, who we've relatively avoided rumors of his leaving, but we're finally starting to get them. Does Real Madrid want him? Uh, I could see Real Madrid wanting a hold of Hinmin Sun because that opens up the entire Korean market. Very wealthy group of people. You know, it makes sense from a monetary uh, standpoint because Hinmin Sun is the star of Korea. That opens up a whole market for the Galacticos. So uh, I think Tottenham need to start looking at those things. And then Sunday late, West Ham versus uh, Manchester United. Uh, this is a do- this would have been uh, originally the David Moyes derby. The only thing in this one was, you know, we had Cristiano come back. We had the controversy. He sat one game. Ten Hogs brought him back onside. He scored a goal uh, in the Europa League slash Conference League. But uh, the controversy now is Anthony, their new mercurial winger, did some showboating in a game where he spun around like a top and then kicked the ball out of bounds on an, an attempted pass. Not bad. But it, it sparked a whole controversy. It wasn't a big deal. Uh, I think you can showboat. I don't have a problem with showboating for players. I think show your skill. That's fine. But get ready to get kicked. Someone will kick you. So this is these are these um, for the for those are uninitiated. These are these unwritten rules of football. The way we have them in baseball with bat flips and and staring at a ball. And the and the and, and or hockey where you it gets chippy and you send out your fighters. In football, if you showboat and sort of do tricks and flicks when it's not appropriate in the flow of the game, it is the right of the opposing team to take it as a front, as a slight. And what'll happen is the next time you come near someone, they will take a foul on purpose where they just kick you in the shins. So it's uh, something that can happen. Uh, we'll see if it does happen. Uh, I don't think I don't think West Ham will feel the need to do that, but they might talk about it and be like, "Pull that shit on me, and I'll kick you in the face." Because West Ham is a very English physical team, and if they try and mess about with them, uh, they'll be in trouble. Man United do come into this game a little weakened. There's no no um, Varane. So they will be playing a very short defense with Lindelof and Martinez against the beefiest West Ham headers you can find. So uh, it should be a goal, a game for headers. But you know Martinez is good on those. But you'd expect West Ham to win, uh, United to win these games at home. And then uh, another fun little game: Fulham versus Everton in the Marco Silva Derby or Anthony Robinson Memorial Derby. And we see again: Can Everton go on the road and win a game? Uh, these are bigger tests for what Frank Lampard has been up to, where he's taking the team, how he's moving it forward. Uh, these types of things where we're and, – and Fulham as well, who are really, really good and do present challenges to Everton. Can that Karkovsky, um, uh cody defense hold Mitrovic down? I really like this game. Fulham at home. This could be a good game. Everton-Fulham is a good Saturday – Saturday late game. Any games that I missed? I just have to check. Palace play Southampton. Brentford play Wolves. And another good game, Newcastle versus Aston Villa. Dudes, I don't think Unai Emery is going to be manager for you, Newcastle versus Aston Villa. But this should be a good game. 
also on Saturday uh, to see where Aston Villa are. Remember, they scored fifteen. They scored three goals in fifteen minutes. Uh, Newcastle's the best defense in the league. I think Aston Villa and Newcastle are two teams that wanted that saw themselves in the same space. Um, not in the same money. I think, you know, Aston Villa, Newcastle, we know, has a large amount of money. They sit in fourth right now. But Aston Villa saw themselves as upwardly mobile and thought that the Gerard signing and the players that they signed were going to move them into a, a top-half European challenge spot. And I think this is an interesting game for Aston Villa. This could be a good game. I don't know what we'll see from Aston Villa, but we know what we'll see from Newcastle. Hard-pressing, hard-defending, opportunistic goal-scoring, Wilson and Almiron running the break hard with uh, Gumaresh pulling the strings. So a good game by two venerable old clubs. Um, Brentford and Palace, both at home against Wolves and Southampton, respectively. These are relegation battles, I think. Uh, Brentford have not been playing well of late. They're sliding down the table a little bit at this point. Same with Palace, who have a bad game in them. Uh, the, the the table's pretty stacked. Uh, it's all relatively close together. This time of the season, two wins in a row put takes you out of the bottom table, puts you at mid table, and a and a loss will at in a, an opportune time will move you down. But I'm looking forward to these games. Brentford v Wolves. You'd expect Brentford to win at home. They always do. And Wolves just cannot score goals. It is laughable at this point. They look locked on to go down along with Nottingham Forest and Leeds. But we'll see. Oh. Okay, wowie wow, I blasted through this game pretty, pretty quickly. Um, I think I'm going to go because I have a little bit of a cold. So that was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with Laurent Cortines. We are the football wing of the Chop Sports Network. We record on Tuesdays and Fridays. So be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Plus, we are on FanHub. We love Russ and the boys. So please keep in mind there. Download FanHub on any of your favorite app stores. If you're listening on Apple, please rate and review the show. It makes a huge difference and what should we do enjoy our football as Karthik Krishnaya might say <laughs>